This is the Think LA podcast from Los Angeles, the center of advertising, marketing, and media. Thank you so much for joining us. Recently, Think LA joined sister marketing organizations from across the West, from San Francisco, Las Vegas, Arizona, and Seattle, to hear top brands and agencies share how they are working with partners to create smart, sensitive marketing in extraordinary times. The conversation was honest, practical, and inspiring. If you missed it, listen to the replay here. And please go to thinkla.org to find out about joining or renewing your membership. And now, please enjoy the best of the West. All right. All right. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome aboard. It's 12 o'clock. We want to thank you very much for joining our Lunch and Learn. Probably one of the most unusual Lunch and Learns that you will encounter over this wild summer of 2020. This virtual event is called Best of the West. It literally is a, a, a compilation of the biggest city associations and the best city associations, which started out as a, a conversation between several of us has now turned into a chance to bring some extraordinarily thought leaders representing brands and agencies, along with one, I think, with the most esteemed journalists to talk about what is going on in the West Coast. A lot of times we hear a lot about advertising and marketing, and most of it is centered on that other side of the country. But there's a lot from Arizona to Los Angeles to Las Vegas to San Francisco and all the way up the coast to Portland and to Seattle. And that's today what this is about. Well, we have asked each of the different city associations, Think LA, Las Vegas Interactive, Arizona Interactive, and Seattle Interactive, to go down and have them say hello and welcome, and then we're gonna turn it over. Um, and I'm gonna first go to literally just on the job, I think about eight or nine days, we wanna welcome uh, Don Lupo, who is now the new executive director what I believe is the largest city association in the country, and one that is just uh, great, all of them are great, is Think LA. Don, good afternoon. John, thank you for uh, having us be part of this. Um, we are so glad to collaborate with this, and collaboration in our industry has always been vital, and that's uh, true now more than ever. Um, Think LA is continuing to be a force for connecting, educating, and inspiring change, so thank you for having us. Uh, and and well and again welcome aboard. Let's turn a little bit east and go to what was it 111 degree Las Vegas, and Brandy and Brandy who is the president and is and then really a fun group. Brandy, let me hello. Thanks, John. Uh, you know I start every Lavima event with a thank you to our attendees, and I want to see all of our Lavima members today in the chat. So throw up some Vegas emojis um, anytime you like a comment, and especially when our Vegas friends are speaking. Um, these events are not possible. They're not possible without our board members, and they're not possible without our sponsors. We are 100% sponsor funded, um, so we appreciate you. Thank you, everybody, for showing up today, leaning in, and continuing to support communities. 
Well, thank you, Brandy. Now we're going to go south down to Arizona, where I understand it's 116 or 115 degrees. That even sounds horrible, but as they said, dry heat. Oh, uh, so Jenna, uh, Jenna, welcome. Are you with us? I think you are. I am, and uh, thank you for having us today. I'm super proud to be here among all of you. So. Um, Azima or the Arizona Innovation Marketing Association is founded in 2009. Um, it's one of the state's largest and only digitally focused marketing associations made up of more than 1200 members um, that represent our state's best agencies and digital marketing professionals. Um, we operate on an extreme passion to deliver educational opportunities um, across uh, many areas of digital expertise and um, our monthly events, I am so proud to say that um, I walk away feeling both inspired and connected with this community. And um, I'm really proud of, of all the work we've done and, and you know, all of the amazing feedback we get from our members. Well, thank you and welcome aboard. And now we'd like to go all the way up to the Northwest, uh, Michelle from Seattle, which is about a year old, sort of a reconfiguration of a couple of clubs. Michelle, welcome from Seattle. Thank you, John. Uh, super excited to be here and participating as, in this event. As you said, we are just coming up on our first birthday here in a couple months. And um, you know, really our organization is excited to really bring networking opportunities, but also to share um, and foster best practice sharing, provide thought leadership, and just op opportunities to continue to learn and develop ourselves professionally here in the Seattle market. And excited to hear, um, I think this event is a perfect example of that, of that, that thought leadership and best practice sharing. So thank you for reaching out to us and including us. And 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 special thank you to, uh to Lisa and Linda and Brandy for really help shepherding this. We'll talk about later. I represent SF Big, which represents the Bay Area, and uh, we're we're very excited to be a part of this. I think education, networking, collaboration, and as Brandy said, our sponsors help drive. This is a sponsor-free event. Uh, the only sponsor that we are acknowledging is our friends at Cisco WebEx, who have given us a graciously use of a very large, probably temperamental, uh, as any of these video things are, but uh, we're very excited and appreciate Cisco WebEx letting us use their, their very large conference, uh, video conference. This idea came about the, the idea of the fact that the West sometimes never tells its story. And I think we're very fortunate that a lot of people don't realize that one of the premier journalists that I have respected and many of us have interacted with uh, is Doug Zanger, who literally is the senior editor, national editor, Brad Week, and all the various publications. And he doesn't live in New York. He doesn't live in Brooklyn. He doesn't live in the five boroughs. He lives none other than in the great city of Portland. So he lives, breathes, and eats the West Coast. Um, and he's visited all of our cities and interacted with us. So, Doug, welcome aboard. Thank you very much for doing this. Uh, and so I'm turning it over to you. Thank you, John. I had to throw on the uh, the Ducks hat for a little Pac-12. Uh, let's get that going right now. Um, so as John mentioned, I'm senior editor for Adweek, and I've, uh, I'll just open up a little bit about my background to give everybody a little bit more context. Um, uh, I moved here in 1992. So this was at the right at the vanguard of the grunge era and 
there was this little agency called Wyden Kennedy that wasn't so little, uh, and this company called Nike that was doing some interesting things back in the early 90s. Um, but I chose to come out west, uh, and I'd gone to college in Denver, so, so I've been out west a, a vast majority of my life. And the reason that I love it so much is there is a frontier mentality. There's a pioneer mentality. There's the idea of continually moving forward and building momentum. Prior to my time at uh, Adweek, I was at a publication called The Drum. And it was very important for me to ensure that as we developed that product out and developed our reputation, and developed our audience, that the West was well represented. Um, I feel as though that there are always just more visionary ideas and more interesting, interesting things happening out here. And to John's point, yes, I work for a company that's based in New York. Uh, but I consistently and constantly am looking for ways to continue to elevate what we're doing. Um, I've been very proud to be part of that mission. And yes, I do need to cover things in other parts of the world, but uh, I do, I'm very thoughtful in the way that I approach the way that, that uh, I talk about my brothers and sisters out West. Um, brief aside, I am also, I've reached emeritus status for the Portland Advertising Federation. So uh, I want to thank all of the organizations that are represented here today. Uh, so I guess I, I represent my, my Portland Advertising Federation, which has been around for, gosh, 108 years or something, something like that. So it pleases me to no end, number one, to be here. But I, I also I have a tremendous amount of respect for John and everybody here. And I, and I thank you for the opportunity and the honor to be able to talk about some great things happening out in the West. This will be a bit of a long-ranging conversation, you know, wide-ranging conversation. So, uh, you know, Don Lupo has known me long enough to know that uh, I, I will I will sometimes take the leisurely route to things, and we do have quite a bit of time. And I think that in the spirit of being out west, uh, we can luxuriate in certain things and find interesting pathways to enlightenment and learning. Um, the way that I open panels, though, I do not necessarily introduce the panelists. I let the panelists introduce themselves. And what I like to have them open up on is a good, bad, and ugly about the topic at hand. So I think broadly what we can talk about here to open is a good, bad, and ugly about marketing, about advertising. And I think we can, we can talk about writ large. You can focus it more on, on the West. Uh, but I'd like each panelist to give their name, their title, where they work, and then a good, bad, and ugly. Uh, and I'd like to start, let's see. Um, let's see, Jenna? Yeah. Yeah, Go I'll for start. it. All
what the next day is going to bring. And, you know, as marketers, we want that consistency. We want our content plans. We want um, to stay close to our strategy, but the strategies are shifting every single day. And so um, that's my bad. It also weaves into the good because we're learning more than ever. And um, yeah. as for the ugly, you know, just from a more personal note, I'm a new mom. Um, <laughs> I have a one-year-old and um, I, I feel very nervous all the time. I feel between childcare, between trying to do my job. I mean, when this all first hit, my husband and I were taking shifts because we didn't have anyone to help out. I would work for two hours. He would work for two hours. I was staying up till two in the morning. He was getting up at, you know, four in the morning. So the, the ugly part of that is that our, my entire life was, was disrupted and I was, um, you know, served this new anxiety that I already have a suite of anxiety becoming a new mom. And so now this just added to the pot. <laughs> We're no. figuring it out. <laughs> no, that's that's great, and it's it's good to share that so that people can can share their wisdom uh, along the way as well. Uh, Stephen. Yeah, I'm Stephen Heights, the Chief Innovation Officer for Lavage, uh, one of the top agencies in Arizona. I think the good has been the ability to work from home and just kind of see uh, all the people who were able to shift and do that. I also see the, the bad of it being the real damage that's starting to happen to the underpinnings of our economy. And I wonder how we'll recover uh, and what that will take. And I think the ugly is when you see what's happening uh, on the, as we are, you know, what's interesting to me, most importantly, on a personal note about this whole time is that we have a respiratory virus and then we have the George Floyd incident, which was, was respiratory in and of itself. It's like there was something about these two events that came together. And, and when you have all these heightened tensions to, to see that we still have all these unresolved issues. And the, I think the ugly for me is the divisiveness and of America right now. And while it is coming together around certain things, it, I've never experienced this, this much of a divicity in the country at this time. Yep, understood. Arlene. Hey everyone, I'm Arlene Wazalek. I'm Vice President of Client Solutions for Allied Global Marketing. I do have a global role, but I am based in um, very warm and sunny Las Vegas. Um, I'm gonna go backwards and I'm gonna say the ugly recently has been um, how tone deaf certain marketers to my frustration have been in their response <laughs> to the pandemic, that we've seen people not uh, auditing their creative and running ads showing crowds and sort of pre-pandemic behaviors or using hashtag wash your hands, or just things that are completely sort of insensitive and missing the mark. Um, luckily that's none of our clients, but it's been frustrating to see as a consumer. Um, I would say the bad um, is social media. I think social media has in many ways become very toxic. Um, we're seeing a lot of people get harassed. We're seeing a lot of people shout at each other instead of talking to each other. And um, the environment can be very intimidating and depressing. And I've seen a number of people um, on a personal basis just sort of leave platforms because they can't deal with it anymore. But I will also say that the good is social media. Um, I've been on social media since 1993. Yes, really. Um, and I've always loved its power to shine a light on things that are good. So one recent example of that is um, Julian Bass, who's a 20-year-old college student um, and recently, three months ago, joined TikTok. He put one of his TikToks showcasing his um, visual effects skills up on Twitter 
um, six days ago. Um, it has now gotten 22 million views um, and 600,000 retweets and caught the attention of people like Bob Iger at Disney, who was really trying to get his attention and it worked, um, who said, the world's gonna know your name. So I love social media for that. I love that a 20 year old college kid can put some of his work online and the world will know his name. And I hope that that good part of social media that brings us together and highlights wonderful things will be what wins out here. As I like to tell my students at the University of Oregon, uh, every day is an audition. So uh, you never know where it's gonna land. So uh, Jeff, let's move on to you. Hey folks, uh, I'm Jeff DeCourt and I'm uh, Vice President of Advertising and E-Commerce at uh, Caesars Entertainment. Been with the company just three years now. We've been in uh, travel marketing for about 25 years with US Airways and uh, Royal Caribbean um, and AOL before that. Um, and I appreciate uh, being able to join you today and and, uh, and to hear from all the organizations in addition to Lavima. Um, I'm gonna echo Arlene a little bit. So first of all, on the good, um, just watching the way all of the companies, certainly the people we work with, have pivoted over the last few months, changed their message, come up with messages in a world where there is no creative that speaks to what we're going through. Um, and to see some of the, the creativity um, that we've, we saw in the early uh, in the early weeks of um, the pandemic and a lot of the things that we've been going, our businesses are turned upside down. Um, the bad, I think we're starting to see um, some uh, creative fatigue and uh, the consumers reacting to some of that. And certainly, I think this is uh, to echo Arlene, some, some organizations just uh, missing the mark entirely on that. Um, and I'm going to dodge your question on the ugly Doug, just because uh, given the spirit of the conversation today, and, uh, uh, and I know where we're going, um, it's a tough time for everybody. Mm -hmm. um, and I think everybody is trying their best to figure it out. And so I think it, it's a tough time to talk really about anything ugly. Um, okay. So we'll save that maybe for the conversation. I'll give I'll give you a good. I've had an idea. I worked in casino marketing when I was in radio for 12 years here in Portland, and I have an idea for a uh, for a table game that we can get past the Las Vegas Gaming Commission. I look I forward to be that. Profitable and 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 employ a lot of people, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. That's cool. a different panel for another time. Mike, you're up. You got to follow that, buddy. <clears throat> well, hey Doug, hey John, hey everybody. Um, Excited to be here with you today virtually. Uh, I'm Mike Parker. I'm the president of something called Hearst Magazine's Marketing Services, which is part of Hearst Corporation, includes our digital global digital agency, iCrossing, and our content studio called Hearst Made. Um, great to be able to talk about marketing and, and uh, have been involved in SSBIG in the West for a long time. Uh, you know, going quickly through a, a lot of sentiments that have already been shared, but I just think from a good perspective, um, you know, I wake up every day feeling grateful to be in a business that was able to continue and to pivot to being almost entirely virtual very quickly. I mean, certainly we see other industries and categories where that's not the case. And I think as an agency and for many of our clients, we're able to do our jobs effectively. There's more shooting and editing and producing and planning and buying happening you know, now uh, without without the value of our offices in our space. And, and I think on some level, there's more communication happening between people um, than ever, you know, connecting our disparate far-flung teams and clients. Um, I think from a bad perspective, just flowing from that is that the one thing that I think is hard is a sort of strategic, your, your best kind of strategic creative thinking 
uh, happens with collaboration. And, and I certainly, I don't know what you guys, but I'm really missing whiteboards right now. I'm missing kind of being in a room and, and really kind of hashing out ideas and, and, and building on each other's thinking and energy. And uh, I have not yet found a virtual tool that sort of replaces the reality of, of yeah, that energy of coming together. And so I think that's a, that's a challenge. Um, I think from an ugly perspective, you know, I think everyone is so leaned in right now. Everyone's trying to figure out their business needs. We're trying to help our clients. Everyone's trying to respond to the challenge. And everyone is that I see is just working incredibly hard. And we're starting to see some signs of cracks in that, you know, some, mm -hmm. some burnout factor. I think, um, you know, we do an employee survey pretty regularly and people feeding back that it's just, it's just really hard to find the right boundaries between the workday and work life and personal life. And it's kind of all bleeding together. And I think there's just a question of sort of burnout and sustainability um, that we're going to increasingly face here over the next months. Right. Yeah. Fatigue. Okay. All right, we're going to move on to Ben. I missed the bear logo, but I am a fan of BMP uh, Capybara, so uh, I, 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 you know, I, I enjoy it. So, Ben, kick on in, please. Ah, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, good, good afternoon. I'm Ben Stewart. I lead uh, growth and transformation uh, for Bank of the West. Uh, and uh, today, I would say the 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 good. Uh, I would say that the good is that uh, all the different crises that everyone's discussed so far has put a very sharp focus on action um, and that words are not enough. Uh, and so whether it's, it's very binary, you're either wearing a mask or you're not. You're either out protesting or you're not. Um, you're either taking care of the planet or you're not. And so I think that the, uh, the focus on action uh is actually a very good thing i think it's a good thing for marketers i think it's a good thing for consumers um uh a bad i'll sort of echo what mike said i i really miss collaboration i miss the nourishment of being around other people uh and for the ugly this is tough to say but i think one of the ugly things that everybody here is you know we're all still in the business of trying to create demand for our products and services and yet the ugly part is that we've got people all across the world who are either thinking about uh, their safety from a racial perspective, they're thinking about their health from a viral perspective, they're thinking about their employment from an economic perspective, and it doesn't always feel all that great to be worrying about market share and growth uh, when your customers uh, and your friends and, and, and neighbors are going through something else. And so I think that's sort of a uh, difficult part of this business called marketing and advertising and branding when there's so many other more important things going on. It does sometimes feel a little ugly um, mm -hmm. to, to, to be doing this in that context. I'm a firm believer that financial institutions especially have a wonderful opportunity and, and have been evolving their purpose for a long time. And I think this is a, this is a nice baseline and foundation and and somebody and uh somebody's gonna start figuring a few things out and everyone will will follow suit so um no I, that's that's a, that's a very um i appreciate your honesty and your candor in, in that answer david on to you uh we've decided that your time limit for your answer is 37 minutes so please keep it <laughs> under 37 minutes uh i've known you a long time but you know what i'm saying so good bad and ugly. introduce yourself and good bad and ugly my friend all right good to see you again um, good to see you too i'm gonna copy arlene um because i believe that i want to go backwards here and i look at ugly as the obvious of course the pandemic systemic racism uh and complicity of industry leaders right and i look at that as the ugly 
Uh, and then I'm going to go to bed. A bed is every day is a new challenge, right? We don't know what's coming down the pike. Is it is there going to be um, you know another um, you know surge in in in, in sort of uh, cases? And and then I'm going to look at good is that we have this amazing opportunity as people, as leaders, as an industry, uh, to be part of the most amazing shift for change ever. And then I'm going to add one more onto that. I'm going to I'm go gonna for it. I'm going to add great and great is I want to, I really believe at the end, of it, if we think about this, that 30 years from now, our great grandkids or grandkids will look back at this moment as 2020 as the time where we all came together for the greater good. And that's what I'm keeping my eye on. So, yeah, and I've known again, I, I we joke, I've known you a long time and, and one of the many things I, I love and respect about you is, is your optimism and even in the face of of challenge, you always seem to figure out a way to press through. So I, I really appreciate that. Uh, and then we'll wrap with uh, with Kathy. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be here with all of you. I am, am president of the West Region for Spark Foundry. I'm based in Seattle. Spark is one of the media agencies within Publicis, and I um, feel very fortunate to have spent the majority of my career on the West Coast and definitely feel um, that we often are to New York and even Chicago and my company centric. So I, I love to be able to represent um, the West and have my base in Seattle. And I look after all the clients that Spark has that um, are regionally located on um, in the West Coast. And we have offices in Seattle and LA and San Fran. So um, love hearing about you know where everybody is. In terms of the good, the bad and the ugly, I would say what has impressed me most in terms of good is the resiliency and the adaptability of our entire agency organization. Literally overnight, we went to a work from home situation and it was led by Seattle. We were one of the first cities, as you guys remember, to be at the epicenter of right. the pandemic. And so I, I felt this West region acutely in that I kept saying, what are we thinking about this you know, to our HR professionals? And, and it really hadn't hit them yet um, in New York. So I think that we were able to kind of lead the way and charter new territory for how we can quickly evolve and adapt to a work remote situation. And the good that has come out of that, not only in that we were able to adapt literally overnight, but the connectivity, it seems almost counterintuitive, but I do believe that Spark actually became more connected as a community because we went to twice monthly town halls, which connected every region to everyone from the most senior level leader to the most junior level employee. And we could see each other and speak in a way um, that you never would in your typical day to day. So I was able to hear from younger employees and they were able to see my face where I probably would never have gotten to see them on that regular cadence as we have been able to do operating in a virtual world. So I think that that, that like I said, adaptability, resilience, flexibility, and that connectivity that, that has increased even working remotely. The bad um, that I have seen both professionally and personally on the professional side it's the impact to our clients' businesses. I have a heavy retail portfolio, and so they have all mm. been acutely impacted. So the extent to which their business is impacted, it impacts what they can do for us. And therefore, as an agency, we have to make compromises and sacrifices to adjust and adapt to, to align with the new revenue that we're receiving. And so there have been some really difficult decisions and compromises that we've had to make as Publicis Group in order to stay strong throughout this. And so that's just hard to not be able to fund certain programs or not be able to do the things that we normally would be able to do in a typical environment. 
on a personal side, um, I'm kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum of Jenna. I have um, my middle son is a senior in high school this year. So on the bad side, it was it was hard to see him not to get to experience his spring lacrosse season or prom or graduation. Um, and I just I just the, I take heart in the fact that he's in good company with all those seniors across the country who also you know were dealing with those same challenges. And I would say um, on the ugly side of things, so I'm going to bring it back to a positive because I don't want to end on an ugly. As I mentioned, I'm a very heavy retail um, kind of leader. And so there was that one really hard weekend where there was a lot of news coverage of the violence that came out of peaceful protests. And so in real time on the news, I saw three different clients storefronts, you know, being looted. And that was a really difficult thing to watch in real time. And it was, it came after right as we had just unpaused all of our media and we were just starting to rebuild when that hit. And so I just knew that it was going to take us back a couple of steps and we were going to have to show that resilience again, which that's what I want to bring it full circle is after that really tough weekend where a lot of looting and violent acts did occur. There was incredible outreach by our teams to those clients. What can we do to help? Even volunteering to go and help clean up, you know, what what if they lived in the city where stores were um, unfortunately looted. And then just the fact that we took a deep breath and we said, all right, we're going to pause again. We're going to figure out what's next and we're going to rebuild from here. So we didn't let that um, deter us from the recovery and the rebound, which we know is, is so important for us to work with our clients on in this time. And uh, I can't wait to come up and see you guys again. My dirty secret is, I, I like, since I'm here, I'm, I'm supposed to say uh, I, I love Los Angeles. I love going to LA. I love going to San Diego. My kids, like, let's go to Legoland. They're going to say, can we go to Legoland when they're in their 30s? Um, but, I, you know, day trips down to San Francisco. But um, uh, fun fact, I thought I was going to go to UW for grad school. So ah. I, so in, instead of uh, Portland, I, I thought I was going to be in Seattle. So uh got a very soft spot in my heart for uh for everybody obviously everybody here but uh soft spot for seattle except when it comes to major league soccer <laughs> um, uh, as we're as we're rolling along here i want to remind people that you know instead of a formal q a let's do this western style let's do this west coast <laughs> style if you have questions as we're talking roll them in moderators will will pepper them in and, and we'll just we'll pepper them in throughout um what I'd like us to start with, and, and we've identified the the chaos, the change, the, the maniacal nature of things. I've also said that um, one of the great things about marketers, and especially being on the agency side, but marketers as well, is the scrappiness, the resourcefulness, the ability to pivot, the ability to change, the ability to morph the lack of rigidity when it's in service to a client and service to a brand. Um, so obviously we're all a little Merle Haggard uh, at the moment, uh, but you know, we've been pulling together campaigns. We've launched campaigns. Uh, you know, we've, we've got them out there, pulled them again. It's just whiplash back and forth. I'd, I'd like you to talk about piece of work or change in organizational thinking that you're most proud of over the last four months. And Kathy, I want to start with you. I'm gonna I'm gonna go backwards through through the panelist list here. Okay. Yeah, no, that's fine. Um 
I would say that I'm going to use Starbucks as my example in this regard. Certainly, there has been tremendous transformational work done across all clients, but this was one that I can highlight very quickly, I think, and that is that as Starbucks started to contemplate opening their retail cafes again, but they knew they needed to do so in a very safe um, environment and one that would meet the consumers where they were in this journey. So. Starbucks typically over the summer would support very product-based um, marketing and talk about the new flavor of this or the new drink that they have here, this new Frappuccino. Instead, what they realized that their road to recovery was going to be to generate awareness for their app, which would enable consumers to safely return to getting Starbucks beverages. And so in the course of four days, literally, we had to look at 12 campaigns the team had planned to air across the late spring and summer and completely dismantle those 12 campaigns and rebuild a single campaign to drive awareness of the Starbucks app. And what we did um, was we had we were had to work with what we had. We weren't going to be getting any more resources from Starbucks, so we had to just take the budget that was the compilation of those 12 initial campaigns. We really leaned into consumer behavior. We needed to understand how consumer media habits had evolved and changed given the start of the pandemic. And so pivot all of the communication planning that we had done to meet them where they were. And then also, and very importantly, create messaging that would be sensitive and would resonate with consumers and produce that messaging in a very safe way, in a very quick way. Um, so it was 12 campaigns dismantled, rebuilt to one holistic campaign, all in four days, and it actually set Starbucks up for some, I think, future place thinking. They always say that um, there's that phrase, um, necessity is the mother of invention. Starbucks mm -hmm. has been reluctant to combine product advertising with their loyalty campaign in the past, mm. but they realized that that combination was actually going to be essential and critical to their rebound. So talking about their app and driving people to download their app, they could infuse product messaging too as an additional um, you know, awareness of what they were gonna be offering. So it was um, incredibly successful. It was incredibly well-received by the client. And the most important thing is that it is working to help Starbucks rebound and enable consumers to very safely order their beverages and be able to pick them up via mobile order and pay in a, a really safe environment. That is what consumers need to feel comfortable with right now. So um, I would say that that was, I think, one of the most transformational pieces of work that we did. And because of it was quick timing, made sure that we leaned in from a media tactic perspective and changed the media mix. And then we were very sensitive to messaging to put something out there that was not tone deaf, but that right. um, combined both the emotional and the functional benefits that Starbucks had to offer at the time. Yep. David, automotive has been, you know, obviously had, had a lot of movement. Uh, curious your thoughts and, and what you've seen of uh, of the work that you're really proud of. Um, I would just go back to you know at D&G we have always been a challenger agency that inspires people and brands to march to their challenger beat both inside and out. And I'd say that uh, being a when you're a challenger, you're innately scrappy, innately proactive. And so we are who we are in good times and bad. And one of the things that we're most proud of is, is the proactiveness that we apply to all of our brands and, and our clients' brands. And Kia in particular, um, we launched uh, during the pandemic. We wanted to make sure that it wasn't 
uh, a reaction that just came from you know a situation because i believe at the end of the day that who you are in christ it should be also who you are every day so it shouldn't feel any different than who we are right and and so we we launched a idea called the um accelerate the good program and it was a proactive idea we presented to them and we said listen here's the deal you can't be like everyone and respond and be reactionary it has to come from the truth and why don't we start from the inside of your company why don't we motivate the employees to be part of uh, a really beautiful purpose initiative you know that is designed all around um frontliners and so kia closed down the factory they, they produced uh thousands of, of face shields and then we created a initiative called the telluriders and it's basically you know uh taking our telluride uh vehicle that was hugely successful uh over the last couple of years and just branded it as a group of people from the inside of Kia who were then delivering the masks to local hospitals all around Irvine. So it created a, a tremendous amount of pride and 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 also the, the the notion of that you are more than just the outward facing marketing. You're you're also what you do on the inside. And now right. that's created a really beautiful movement. You know, with Kia, their their theme line is give it everything. And now when you have that as a filter for your employees and the fact that they're part of the brand, to me, it takes it to a whole nother level. And so that's, that's, that's and, and the sales are just, we had one of the best uh, June sales ever during a pandemic. Uh, and, and obviously, you know, buying a car right now is very challenging for most people because of, you know, all of the, uh, you know, all of the uh, restrictions out there. But we believe at the end of the day that as a challenger brand, it's less about looking at a doom and gloom philosophy, but more about how you can innovate from challenge. And that has put, put us in a very good position in regards to our upcoming car launch. Um, and then, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, in 2021, um, when I believe we're going to, it's going to be uh, sort of probably more uh, inspirational and a more unifying time for everyone. Yep. yep. Ben. Uh, for, for us, you know, we, we were, we were set to launch probably the largest product, uh, launch we've ever had as a bank on earth mm. day. And, uh, it was, a it's, a, it's essentially a new type of bank account that gives 1% of, uh, the revenue of the product back to the environment. It lets you track the carbon impact of your purchases on an app. It comes with a biodegradable debit card, uh, sort of the first sort of, uh, bank. Account oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, so we had this all set up to launch around Earth Day and then this hit and we got into a global code freeze around the world. So we couldn't finish the coding and uh, and essentially over the last, you know, I guess, 14, 17 months, some some uh, a guy on the executive team, he's counting how many weeks we've been trapped inside. I think we're at 17 weeks. Um, uh, the team has just come together and they've pivoted. We've had to rewrite the media plan, which I think was on some of the speaker notes before. We've mm -hmm. had to rewrite the media plan three times. Outdoor is a big part of the plan. Obviously, outdoor is worthless now. Uh, so, um, uh, so we, the team has come together. They've restaged the launch for a virtual launch over the summer. And I've just, I think, uh, I'm very, very proud of the work that the team did in terms of dealing with all the headwinds immediately for something incredibly important to the bank, uh, to just sort of get it over the finish line. And now we're poised for an incredible launch here on July 20th. That's great. Mike. Yeah, I, um. I might take this in the sort of more organizational thinking or organizational change direction. Um, you know, we're really trying hard to use this moment 
to transform how we are are set up as a as a business and and to look at um what we think you know client marketers need and are going to need kind of going forward so as i said kind of off the top really sort of fusing together our digital agency capabilities with the the kind of resources and assets of the magazine media company the data our brands our our expertise, our content creation studio, and kind of forming ourselves up in a new way, um, and trying to use again this this moment of of crisis to not only service our clients but to but to transform who we are, kind of for a new reality. Um, we had a great example. We won a, a piece of business uh, going back a couple months ago in Dermstore.com, which is sort of a high end skincare beauty e commerce retailer, and so just a great example of kind of moving nimbly to put those resources together, build a team in a new way. But the thing that I might be most proud about there, it's kind of crazy is, you know, we met that client, got briefed, <clears throat> pitched them, won the business, built our team and have now spent two months working on that business. And we've never physically met them. We've done all of that virtually, oh, wow. which, which um, you know, we're hearing you, that a lot, but it's, just, ago, it's gotta be so disarming. I mean, it's just, we've been hearing it a lot, but it's like, it's disarming at first, but it feels like, People are getting into a rhythm with that. Yeah, like the the idea that you could pitch and win and ramp up um, business with a client entirely virtual. If you'd asked me that a year ago, I probably would have said you were crazy. But um, on some level, it's the new reality, and we're we're proving it can work. So that's been really interesting. Oh, that's cool. That's very cool. Um, let's see, Jeff. So uh, one of the things most proud of. We've got Chris Evans on the phone here, who is obviously a board member at Labima. Um, Chris and his media team in our department, they're responsible for all of the planning, buying, execution of media for 40-something properties around the country, all of which shut down in the course of about two weeks. Um, and so uh, just complete replanning, um, pausing everything. And of course, he was doing that with his team on furlough. But one of the things that was responsible for and something that, that uh, uh, for us um, was partnership. We have a, a multi-year partnership with ESPN. They have a show here at Caesars uh, on the Strip. Hope soon when we get back to um, it comes with a commitment uh, with ABC and Disney on media. And Chris had negotiated for us uh, the sponsorship in uh, GMA Summer Concert Series. It was supposed to be timed with that we were going to undertake, which was supposed to happen in March, and just a big new reboot of our entire. So we were working on brand spots, brand platform. We had a team ready to go out and shoot four or five cities and pull together a whole new uh, creative concept um, in, uh, in, in broadcast TV spots, all of which pulled almost overnight, um, and we had to scramble. And so... We worked very quickly. Um, we went from planning to shoot scenes, theaters, and uh, full of people enjoying it, to Caesar's Palace empty um, and doors closed for the first time in 50 years. Um, we wrote a script in about 10 minutes. Uh, we were going to do a cameo with Wayne Newton, Mr. Las Vegas, and uh, mm -hmm. we were able to actually get uh, Wayne to read the voiceover for us. And the creative that came out of that um, was really beautiful. And it's running now on, on, on Disney and GMA. 
Um, and it really, it, I, I think it's beautifully on tone and it, it speaks to how we as an organization were able to take this and, 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 and pivot really, really quickly. Um, we can't wait to go back and do the big shoot and the big uh, uh, brand platform and uh, you know, everything about how we shoot and how we go forward and what that will look like is still up in the air. But in the meantime, um, I'm, I'm just really proud of the whole team We've been able to, to, to pivot and, and get something out in the market that really speaks to the tone of, of where we are right now. Yep. Arlene. Um, when I started in the advertising business back in the bronze era, um, <laughs> advertising agencies were really regarded as partners to their clients. Um, that evolved over time over the last couple of decades where we were sort of vendors um, and they would look at us to come up with strategies and execute things, but didn't necessarily look at, at agencies as their partner in the marketing endeavor and bringing a product to market and helping design um, the strategies um, and not just sort of here's a media plan or here's a storyboard. And one of the things that um, ironically has been a joy during this time is that we have truly been partnering with our clients. We have been uh, maintaining a deck, which is now around 150 pages of it following and assimilating and aggregating everything that we can about what's going on with consumer attitudes, consumer behaviors, trends in the marketing industry, trends in their product verticals, and working with them not only to um, sort of freeze a moment in time and say, here's a deck, we're going to present it to you, but on top of that, maintaining um, a set of dashboards that continue because nobody wants to sit through a deck or, or present it um, every week um, with updated numbers. So we're really working with them to discern patterns and trends that will not only help see them through the pandemic, because none of us in our lifetimes has ever dealt with anything like this before, but planning for what happens when we emerge. So trying to stop the panic and um, the, oh my gosh, we're closed and oh my gosh, we're open and what's the media plan? And yes, we have to deal with all of that, but also looking beyond it and saying, you know, there will be a Q3 and a Q4 and a first mm -hmm. quarter 2021. And we really need to look ahead and to the best that we can plan for those things, plan for what the product is going to be, plan for how we're going to communicate it, plan for if it's a, any kind of a consumer facing thing, how are we going to welcome guests back into our resorts or our restaurants or our attractions? Um, so that really, to me, is something that I've been very proud of is that we have, you know, linked arms virtually with our clients and we're working with them to to reimagine um, their market strategy. Uh, Steven. Where'd Steven go? Is he on mute? Maybe it's on another Zoom call. Right, right. <laughs> Well, we are Cisco okay. WebEx. Cisco are we okay? WebEx. Can you hear me now? Yes. yes, we can. Okay. Yes. Man, I did it. I've been so good uh, this week. Okay, anyway. Uh, <laughs> a couple of interesting things uh, that we did that probably wouldn't um, rise to the level, but I, I want to share two of, them, two of them with you. One is uh, there was this interesting moment where Herm Edwards, who's the football coach at ASU, had a moment with his team when he was talking about the fact that we're selling hope. And... Uh, we, um, our, our agency le leaders and some of the ASU people were just talking about this piece of audio that, that he had put together that he had shared with his team. And we, 
we pivoted it and really kind of put it out there as a great uh, content piece. And maybe I'll put a link to it in the chat, but it was just a minute conversation about the fact that we're selling hope. And it was just a real positive moment and that energy comes from hope and how, can, how hope can transform everything for us. And it really kind of buzzed virally through the ASU community and their football recruits and other things. It was just really neat to see. The other thing that we're working on right now is we are working with the Arizona Secretary of State to make sure that people in Arizona know their voting options. And if there's ever been something more vital to do, it's been such a privilege to be able to help get the vote out. And so we've created this Arizona.vote campaign. And it's interesting because you know we're the center of attention in this upcoming election um, as Arizona's political landscape has kind of been changing a little bit. And there's a lot, and if you don't know Arizona vote by mail, 80% of our, our ballots have been mail. And um, I th if this whole question around accessibility to voting and making sure everyone feels safe to vote in person as their civic duty or by mail has been something that we've been privileged to kind of shepherd and just get that out there. That's cool. Yeah, we've had vote by mail here for, I don't even remember, it's, it's just built into our DNA. So any state that's yeah. endeavoring to do that, I can just tell you from personal experience, Oregon, it worked for us uh and it takes time it takes time to transition but it, it becomes second nature and uh it's it's fun to bring the kids in to look at the voter pamphlet here you go kids let's take a look at this measure it's going to raise our taxes uh jenna jenna just texted me that she got disconnected hopefully she, she got disconnected okay so here's what i'd like to do from here on out and um uh, I'll go ahead and open this up to to all. We'll we'll do the proverbial jump ball. And thank you for the Herm Edwards uh, references. A lifelong Philadelphia Eagles fan, I, I appreciate that very much. Um, I'll always think of Herm Edwards as an eagle, not a sun devil. Um, but <laughs> I want we I, we got a question from uh, from our audience. Uh, how and, and and this is jump ball. So this, from here on out, we'll go jump ball a little bit. How does the group feel about the Facebook, Facebook boycott? And uh, did you as a, as a brand or any of an agency's clients pause or cancel? So anybody want to grab that? Yeah, I think we, it's the right thing to do and we participated immediately. Um, so, yeah. My, my question is, um, I mean, we participated and as an agency, but we also participated as, as individuals and leaders. And, and I kind of went, I've, gone black on Facebook and Instagram and it's it's actually feels kind of good to get away from to get away from all that uh, all the social sort of banter out there but I, I really believe that the that, that a greater responsibility uh, lies on the leaders of our industry to set a greater example not just for our, our companies and our people but for the industry as well and so what I'd love to see is in alignment with leaders all coming together, just like we're seeing with brands right now. And, and I think that would send a really powerful message to the industry. Anyone else? They had taken um, a, a tandem approach at least of making the boycott be, um, as David was saying, consumers boycotting Facebook rather than pressuring brands to do it. There are a lot of companies who, you know, get much or all of their income from their from their social media advertising. So for them to stop advertising is kind of suicidal. Um, and for the big brands, people are still going to remember, you know, Coca-Cola next month. Um, for a little brand to go out of sight for a month is, is very challenging. But I think it would have been more effective in a way to get consumers to do what David is saying and get consumers to stop using it 
because then the brands would just naturally have followed suit and brought pressure because they want that platform back and they want to do what the consumers are going to need. So I think that would be something to consider for next time is really encouraging it to be grassroots, just like all the marches have been and get consumers to put pressure on the platforms. I'd agree well, with Arlene. Really, I wonder if there's a, uh, you know, if there's next time where this conversation still seems to be still evolving, right? Uh, we've been on the phone with our Facebook reps the past few weeks. Uh, in the beginning of June, Tony Rodeo, our CEO, took a very firm stance just uh, with, with a personal statement about what's going on in the world, whether that is uh, LGBTQ equality, racial equality. Uh, you spoke about immigration, right? These are all important conversations going on in the world. So as a company, he made that that, that position. Um, we've been on the phone directly with uh, you know our contacts at Facebook to make sure they know we're following the discussions they're having. We're encouraging and expecting them to get to results. Um, uh, and Arlene, you know, I don't know if, if it's next time or this time, but there, there, you know, it would be great, I think, if you saw more pressure from consumers who are on the platform as well. Um, it's it's a it's a tough question, but it's certainly um, you know I think it's it's the time to have the conversation. I want to move on to. Uh, I'll I'll just put I'll put an elephant in the room, and so uh, contextual. Oh, sorry, did somebody want to? Yeah, it's oh. me. It's me, David. I love elephants. So I'm glad. I know, here we go. This, glad I know you're, you I'm glad you're bringing it on, and I'm also glad you're also talking about sports. Yes. Go. Yes. Um, I, I want. This. this is a good question, and you know, the, uh, I, I I know a lot of people in this industry. A lot of people in this industry know me. A lot of people don't know me. Um, one of the most prominent, important, and um, Quite frankly, best stretches of my career. Um, I am a actually a, a former creative director. Started as a copywriter. I'm not a trained journalist, so don't tell anybody. Don't tell my employer. Um, but the, there was a five-year stretch in my career where uh, I worked at a hip-hop radio station, and we were an incredibly diverse crew. We were white, black, uh, Asian, Latinx, Native American, gay, straight, male, and female. We were wildly successful, but it was the most profound five years of my career and it served as an anchor and a foundation for the way that I approach diversity, inclusion, equality, and equity. And um, so I take this very, I take this incredibly seriously. Uh, and obviously recently we've seen in the agency community, the, um, uh, you know, we, we've seen the, the letter from 600 and rising uh, from, from Nathan Young at Periscope in Minneapolis and my friend Bennett Bennett who I've known for 10 years, uh, we started his own shop not too long ago. We were colleagues uh, at the drum. So we've got 600 and rising, which has um, 1800 people now signed on a partnership with the four A's. Um, I want to put the elephant in the room is, is that I think all of us have the best of intentions. We are professionals. We are first and foremost, human beings uh, with hearts, but also minds that want profitability, knowing that diverse teams better work and are more profitable. But you know, I'd like us to I'd like us to address the you know bit of the elephant in the room. It's like here we are, a majority of a vast majority of us are are white on this call. But I want to I want to learn more about the conversations and and most importantly some of the actions that have been discussed within your organizations or within your markets. Uh, and Jenna's got a dog and I love that. <laughs> uh, 
Jenna's got a dog. Um, so I, again, this is a jump ball, but I, I'd like, uh, you know, I, I'd like, I'd like us to really just start pulling this apart because, you know, we're, we're at a new stage now. I'm going to jump right out in the spirit of brave. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about observations that I've had and, and first of all, I'm from the Bay area. I grew up in East, uh, in uh, San Leandro. I didn't say that up front, but I grew up in a very um, diverse neighborhood. My father's Filipino, my mother's Portuguese. And and yet when this happened, when when the George Floyd feeling happened, I, I realized that what's different than before is that we are all captive right now. There's a captive audience out there that's watching everything go down. And the first question I asked was, how do I respond to this, right? Because uh, obviously we all feel the injustice. We all feel the, you know, a sense of white privilege. We all, we all feel that right now, but how do we respond to this? And, and one of the things that, a question that I heard um, in talking with a, with a black employee who said, oh, oh, we're going, we're doing this dance again. And I thought about that for a second. I said, we're doing this dance again, which means this has happened before where, you know, there is maybe Rodney King or, or Trayvon Mullen, but this has happened before and why didn't we use it, that as an opportunity to, to eradicate systemic racism for good? And I started to ask myself that question. I said, well, the problem is, is it's about how we respond to this, you know? But we can either respond to it through ego, which is, a natural sort of thing to do to think, oh my God, I've got to make a response to my agency uh, because it's up, you know, we don't want to get be caught. Or, or I look at, you know, the fact that agencies are creating ads around the response. And I think to myself, well, that's not real. So I look at the response. And the only way that I can respond to this, I felt as a leader, as a CEO of 200 people, almost 200 people. And I thought the only way I can respond to this is, is from a place of empathy to go deep as far as I can within myself to truly understand, and I, I probably never will understand this, but truly understand what it's like to be a black person. And when I got to that point from there, it was such a level of understanding that I thought to myself, I think about the atrocities, I think about the fact that they've been carrying this burden and this pain for hundreds of years, right, for centuries. And I thought the only way that we can respond is if we are fully committed, not just in our companies to, to eradicate systemic racism, because that's just a box we're checking, but in life. You can't be a part-time anti-racist. You can't go, okay, I got my company all uh, fixed, but, I, but I'm on the outside, I'm not doing it. You have to be in it, all in this, as a leader, as a company, in order to eradicate this. And from that belief comes action. I think somebody said earlier that action is the thing. It's action, not ads. And so what is action? Action comes from your authentic truth as a person and as an agency. And that action should be something that is, that is impactful, that is sustainable and operationable. It should not be a box that we are checking. It should be something that we're going, yes, I'm gonna do this. And as a leader, I'm gonna stand for this. And I'm gonna inspire as many people to examine their own complicity, examine their own complicity and come up with an action plan together. And I think that is the opportunity that exists for us as white leaders so that we can prove to the world, to, to our black employees, to our black friends, to the black community, that we stand with them. 
We stand with them from our hearts and soul, and we are going to eradicate this together because we got a lot more challenges coming our way, and we're so much better together than we are apart. And that's my viewpoint. And as far as what we're doing on the inside of our agency, Doug, which is, I think that we're probably going to that next, we're actually uh, releasing a um, op-ed through Adweek uh, for The Voice, and you're probably going to see it in the next couple of minutes that clearly fully outlines our steps on the inside and what we're doing for communities. Cool. Ben, I know you have to leave in a few minutes, so I, I wanted to give you an opportunity to weigh in on this. Uh, I, I think it's uh, I think it's shown uh, a need for action. I mean, you know, for us, you know, as a bank that's led by a female immigrant of color, our executive team is a third female, third people of color, and collectively we speak 11 languages. We think we're a pretty diverse bank, and I believe we fundamentally are. Um, but it has put a very sharp focus on the need for more action and, and, and it, what's been so great about it is that our employees have held us accountable. There's not a single town hall that I host or anything else that our employees are asking. What are you doing? I love the Facebook post. I wrote it for our CEO, but the question that keeps coming from our employees are, what are you doing? And, uh, and I would say that the, the. The boycott of Facebook and Instagram was the very 1st and very easiest thing that we could have done. Um, but we've got an entire task force working on tangible actions that include monetary things, but also uh, more operational uh, fixes. But it's but I'll tell you, it's hard because, um, you know, you can look you can look as good as you want on the outside. But if you're not taking the right actions day in, day out, uh, everybody notices. All right, Ben, between uh, your your leadership and the environmental product that uh, you're launching, uh, somebody may be driving over the hill. Uh, five miles away to, to open that checking account. So, <laughs> that's that's impressive. That's great. Um, really appreciate you taking the time. I do know that you have to leave. So thank you okay, very much. Thank and, you. And we'll catch up with you later. And thanks for all of your hard work. And let's uh, let's pick it back up. Who uh, who would like to jump in on this topic? Again, we're going a little jump ball here. Um, I'll jump in like quickly. Go um, for this, it. This is Kathy. Um, you know, I will say. That comment about, you know, we're doing this dance again, it really resonates because you wonder the question of why is now going to be different. I will say from a publicist agency perspective, I do feel that this time is different in a very meaningful way. We had a, a day of reflection that we asked every employee to pick a day to take um, to take off and just reflect about what they were going to do to be part of the solution. And we had 18,000 people participate in a day long education um, and information session and actually have facilitated sessions where you would submit ideas of what you were going to do to be part of the change. And so I feel like, while it may seem like a small thing, taking two full days where we are dedicating to this topic is just a, it's one small step in the right direction, but we had never done anything like that before. And then coming out of that, it is all about the action. And I think that as leaders, we have to be accountable to our teams. And so when I did the town hall coming out of um, our, our education, our training session, I said, if we have not increased the people of color, the black people of our talent base in the West region, by this time next year, I should not be here. I should not be here as the leader of the West region because I will not have done my job. As a woman operating from privilege and having the honor of being in a leadership position at Spark, I have that in my control to be a significant part of this solution from a recruitment and a hiring perspective. And so that is something that is 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 easily measured and it's something that we can hold ourselves accountable to. 
The second thing I'll say that as a leadership team at Spark is that we recognize that we didn't get everything right the first time that we tried to put initiatives in place to help fix this. And I was so incredibly thankful to the young people within our organization who raised their hands and said, this doesn't feel right to me. This program that you've put in place, this doesn't feel right and here's why. And we sat down with them and, and, and got their input and got their feedback and evolved to make the things that we were doing better because we, we recognize that as leaders, we sometimes miss and we don't get it right. And we needed to show our, our teams that we were willing to adapt and listen and change in real time to make sure we were continuing to progress. And, and even though our intent might have been right at first, the way that it was manifesting itself was wrong. And so I would encourage everyone on this call that if you that if something isn't sitting right with you, speak up because now more than ever, I think your leaders are listening and they want to incorporate your feedback into the plans moving forward. I mean, to, to her point, you know, the notion of you have to want to do this, not have to do this. And that's going to be the big shift for, for our industry. And and I love I love the fact that you are holding yourself accountable because I'm holding myself accountable. And and but ultimately at the end of the day, it's the desire that I know I need to do this because it's the right thing to do, not because someone's telling me that I have to do it. Doug, I, I'm listening to David and Campy and and um uh, and I and I and I applaud what you're doing at the corporate level and, and sending the message from the top down. David, used um, uh, a word that I think is the most important word in this conversation, that's empathy. The, the ability to understand how these big national conversations and, and at our, at our you know, cultural conversations impact the individuals within our company. Um, last fall, I had a, a, a woman on my team who uh, prior to that I knew was a man come into my office and explain to me that she was tra tra transitioning. And that in every other piece of her life, home, church, friends, elsewhere, she was living as a woman um, uh, as, 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 uh, uh, and her transition had begun. But the last place that she was ready to do that was the workplace and in our office. And uh, we sat down, uh, oh, I'm getting a little choked up, because uh, we, we, we had an emotional moment uh, for me as we talked about this. And we committed right there that we're going to work together to make this right. We weren't going to make it a big thing. We we're just going to make it right. And we worked on a plan uh, where we would bring some resources in, um, you know, impacting everything from speaking with our department and making sure everybody understood what was happening, but it wasn't a big thing to making sure we had accommodations uh, in the building. And this was happening just before uh, Las Vegas Pride weekend, which was in October, right? Um, and it was that week that week that, that she presented herself uh, in the office um, as, as who she truly is. And the journey to watch what how she has grown past few months from that moment um, was remarkable. And it wasn't because the corner office told us we needed to do this. And it wasn't because you know we had policies in place. It was because at that moment when we needed empathy, we made sure that everybody in her immediate group had it, um, and we delivered on that. And I, I couldn't be more proud of her and uh, what we've done. And so whether we're talking about race, we're talking about LGBT, you know, whatever um, the major issues are, and we need leadership from the corner office. The, the the proof really comes from what happens in that moment and the empathy you bring. Absolutely. And that's something that exists in all of us. Empathy. It's not something that's manufactured. It's not something that you learn. 
It's something that's innate that we were all born with. And it simply is about letting go of all the conditioning, unlearning all the things that we've been told, uh, and going all in with empathy. Because empathy is something that you feel, and uh, it's undeniable. I want to get into a couple more. Uh, I want to get into a couple more, you know, talent, human-related things. And I do want to. Uh, I, I like to say that uh, my life truly is like a mullet. Sometimes there's part of <laughs> in the back a little business up front uh so we'll do business up front here in a moment but i do want to talk a little bit more about talent um you know the the, the grim fact of the matter is that uh agencies and brands have to right size they have to downsize they have to furlough they have to you know there, there's there's a lot of a lot of very not great things i just put that very portlandy Instead of saying bad things, I'm like, not great things. Uh, but that's a reality. Now, that said, there is a, and having, you know, teaching at the University of Work, the advertising school there, you know, this wide swath of talent that's, that's available. So I'm curious about, you know, where these might arise for junior talent, junior creatives, junior account people, junior operational people. Strategy, by the way, uh, I'm working on something. Uh, I'd like to do a strategy panel for Adweek, so uh, uh, just stay tuned. Um, but I'm curious about, you know, what talent looks like, where the, not the talent, but for the agencies, for the brands, because, I, you know, I, I talk to 22-year-olds and think, I'm not going to get a job, and then I think, well, this is happening now. There will be an opportunity. There is an opportunity to freelance that could do this. So I, I want to get a beat on what everyone is. Thinking about. And it doesn't necessarily have to be junior talent. It could just be talent in, in general. Um, who wants to dive in and take that okay. one first? I'll jump in. I think this has um, been such an exciting time for talent, which sounds paradoxical, but right. um, but Allied already um, had a very distributed workforce. We have 22 offices across North America and going into Canada and Europe. So we already were very used to inter-office collaborations that took place on a daily basis. We were using Teams like way before this happened to have daily video check-ins. And so um, one thing that used to hold us back before working remotely was a thing was if we were hiring for a particular need in a particular market, Maybe there wasn't a great talent base in that market, or maybe the talent we wanted, we couldn't get. And that has kind of not evaporated entirely, but it's opened up now that if we need to hire a copywriter or a media buyer or a strategist or um, somebody who works with influencers, they can be anywhere. They don't, we don't have to hire, they can maybe work our Las Vegas clients or our Los Angeles clients, our London clients but they don't have to be in those markets. So for me, that's um, opened up our talent pool tremendously. Um, it makes it a little trickier. There are things we've had to adapt with. How do you go through that recruitment process when you don't meet in person? How do you onboard someone remotely? Those of us who are already working together, it's pretty easy to just shift to only doing it remotely because we already knew each other and knew our work styles. How do you bring someone new into that equation? So those are organizational and logistical things we have to get through. But in terms of talent, I think it's a great time. It's an amazing time right now. But also, 
it's where you look too, because maybe we don't even search in advertising. And I, and you think of Wyden's old strategy of just finding great people out there. I really think that at the end of the day, that as we move towards the better normal, where purpose is going to be front and center, there are beautiful people out there who aren't even in advertising that are marching to the beat of purpose. And then as your organization, what you do is you invest in developing, developing those people, bringing them in as long as they share the same philosophy, but then really develop them from the ground up. So, so you don't have the past sort of uh, experiences or bad experience of advertising, but you're bringing a different mentality into the workplace to really truly embrace your purpose-driven truth. I think for us, that's particularly challenging because we believe in multicultural marketing. And for over a decade, we've struggled with how do we get our agency to represent the people in our state? And system, systemically, you have to go back and say, well, is the college graduating in a course of people that are 30 or 40% Hispanic uh, in marketing, advertising, communications? Then you go back to the high schools. Are, they, is, are the people going into our college system uh, representing our, our community? And, you yeah. know, so in Arizona, where we've got this Achieve 60 goal to get 60% of our people to have a post-secondary education. And we're working through some of these things, but it is, we're going to have to be very intentional. Uh, and we're going to bring our team together to think about how to reach way back into the system to try to pull forward the best diverse group um, that we can to represent our community. And that's going to be an interesting challenge. Hey, Stephen, you know, when you, when you think about the challenges that we're that are coming or the innovations that are coming from working remote. I mean, there's a really great opportunity now for you to have even greater reach, you know, and, and we're looking at people hiring people out of New York, even though we're based in LA and letting them stay there. And, sure. and so there's so much opportunity right now with remote that I think it's going to open up even more for you. Uh, I've been really, oh, I was just going to say, I've been, I've been really thankful for our clients adapting that flexibility because clients typically have been, do they live in this market? If they don't live in this market, I don't think they're right for this business. And we've tried to talk to them about right talent is the most important thing, regardless of where they are. Um, and I think that the ability to work remotely and showing that great ideas and good work can be done from wherever, that has manifested itself in real time. And so I have been extremely grateful that my clients have allowed us actually to bring on people onto our team during this pandemic. We're Seattle-based client. They may have New York um, folks working on their business now, and it's worked out so well that now they are going to be more open to that moving forward, which is wonderful. Yep. I think, uh, Kathy, just to build on that, I think one of the questions that I have that we've been thinking a lot about is like, what of these new practices, like when we talk about going back to normal, like what, what, thing, what, what does that mean in terms of the way it was versus like what things have we changed and adapted that actually we wanna go forward and that becomes a new normal. And I think there's a big question around, are clients going to be more receptive to the idea of remote workforces, distributed workforces? Like you don't have to have your boots on the ground in the market to come over to the office all the time. It works just fine if you don't. Um, is, that a, is that a new normal you know, that, we can, that we can move forward with? I do think, you know, I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, but, you know, Doug, to your question, um, it's a tough time for talent in our industry. It's a tough time for the industry. And I, and I agree um, 100% with what's been said that, that it creates opportunity as an, as an employer and how you build teams and how you think about where you find talent. But, you know, I think as an industry, as marketing, certainly as agencies and service companies in our industry, um, you know, we're going to continue to feel the the downturn and, and, as, as economic realities pervade, you know, what does that mean in the industry? So if you're a young person looking to get in right now, 
um, is certainly not going to be without its challenges. But I think the idea of flexibility and adaptability, the, the, the types of people that we need in our industry to be able to work through the, the complex challenges and the changing environment that we have. I mean, I think one of the things that has really changed about the business over the last 5, 10, 15 years is, you know, this idea of kind of rigid job titles and more more rigid processes and how we do things to today like um i think some of what um you know david you were saying about wide's philosophy and stuff of just finding really smart people who can figure it out like there has never been a time when we need more people who can figure it out who will go out and get it done versus like oh hey what am i supposed to do here how how do i fit in this wheel um and I, and so i think you know just thinking about young people out there, people that are developing their skill base to come into the industry. Um, you know, there's some functional stuff, obviously, data, technology, other things that are important going forward, but it's just a mindset I think is so critical. I think I think that's a really important point there, the mindset, because, um, you know, if we can shift from being mindset-driven companies as opposed to service companies, right? And so the mindset-driven company, you have a belief system that you use to attract great talent as opposed to just like, okay, I need five bodies, six bodies, et cetera. And that will enable you to work with talent remotely, you know, because your, your culture and your philosophy can transcend the walls of your agency if it's a strong enough philosophy. And you can use that to find people who aren't in advertising. You use that to find people who are, who are even still in college for the most part. But it's really being able to tap into that mindset, as you said, of problem solvers. Right? You want problem solvers. That's what you really want at the end of the day. And, right. and we look at that across the board and go, okay, so do we need to redefine the positions? Do we need to create more Swiss Army knives of creativity where planners and creators become one? You know, And I think that's a, real, a really great opportunity moving forward. So that can shatter the paradigm of, of you know, I got to find a creative or I got to find a, a, have to find a planner. You can start looking at those you know, those different models because they exist out there, but not necessarily in our industry. Um, I want to move on. We're getting to the front of the mullet. I want to talk about <laughs> digital. I want to talk about rebound and recovery. And there's, I mean, listen, we could go, you know, I, I, we've got about 13 minutes or so. Um, so I want to explore a little bit of, on practical business. Uh, side of it. So as we're looking at rebound and recovery, um, how are your clients or on the brand side, how are you leaning into digital? How can digital help everything come out stronger on the other side? And then additionally, and I'm, so I'll, I'll do a little uh, hybrid thing here and add a question from, uh, from the audience. How are you approaching planning when the ability to predict events and just predict anything is so limited? So starting off with, you know, digital as a tool for rebound and recovery, but also how are you pro approaching strategy and, and planning? Well, we're marrying we're all of that. So we are, I think I alluded before that we're trying to help our clients not only navigate the pandemic, but prepare for what's coming afterwards. And so what we're looking at is not only how do you, um, to use an overused word, pivot right now, but how can we create things that will be, uh, that will survive the pandemic and that may represent new forms of product, new forms of revenue, incremental opportunities. So a couple of examples, we have um, 
a client in California that operates um, a number of luxury day spas. Well, obviously their business went to like zero in March. Um, and what we ended up coming up with with the client and helping them market was um, a series of um, virtual skincare sessions where clients who used to come in for facials could instead have a virtual meeting with their esthetician who would help them with their issues, who would walk them through how to do their own facials. Um, and these are things, you know, that's an idea of a product that there's no reason to not keep doing it afterwards. And not only that, it grows your audience. It doesn't have to be someone who can take the time to come into your location. They could be located anywhere and not just California. So we're really looking for how can um, the things that we are doing now adapt and become part of the business on an ongoing basis. That's cool. We had another one of those examples um, on one of our clients, T-Mobile, when their retail stores had to close, you know, very quickly, um, or at least there, even if they were still open, there was no one coming into their retail stores. We worked with T-Mobile on the idea of training their sales associates to be customer care reps and to field um, online chat um, and to field, you know, even landline phone calls coming in so that those employees had the right skill set to answer all the questions that customers had at that very critical time. Um, but we needed to take retail sales associates and convert them to customer care. And we worked with T-Mobile to do that and then to be able to um, market to consumers that they there was this incredible legion of help that was available to them that was just now virtual um, and not in the traditional sense of coming into a brick and mortar store. So I do think to the point of what's going to survive after we get to what's next, they will continue to be able to have their retail sales associates operate in a virtual chat function, maybe at lower traffic times um, during you know store hours. And that can be something that lives on and in an enhancement and an optimization to fully utilizing talent in their network. Anyone else? I think, you know, we're seeing, Doug, we're certainly seeing um, acceleration of time spent digitally as we're all kind of at home and not going out as much. And we're seeing the acceleration of revenue and sales through e-commerce. And I think for some brands, for some clients, it sort of pushes that the ratio or percentage of e-commerce kind of over that critical mass line, you know, which I think we're seeing is accelerating more investment um, stuff that maybe was on the roadmap of, one, two, three years out in terms of e-commerce infrastructure or investment shifts in in the in a digital direction get pulled forward as clients say like, hey, this is such a critical part of my cha my channel. If you're a if you're an exclusively or heavily online seller like say dermstore.com that I mentioned before, you know you're thriving in this moment. I think some of our clients for whom e-commerce was a smaller percentage of their category. You know they've they've and, and more, you know more exclusive reliance on bricks and mortar. They've felt this sort of digital transformation or or this time spent crunch here in COVID more pronounced and are looking to accelerate. I think one thing that we're thinking a lot about with some of our clients is you know, what what changes about the in store experience. What what changes about retail and in store kind of going forward, right? Like sort of get back to normal. Does everybody just go back to the the store and everything is the way it was? Or, or are there behaviors or things that that have lasting change? And if you take the beauty industry, for example, where you know people are going into the beauty counter at the department store or whatever, and are trying on physically trying on different makeup and stuff, and you think, well, probably in a in a, in a on lingering virus world, people aren't going to be trying on makeup that other people have been trying on some things like that, right? So 
how does that change some of those experiences? And if you're a beauty brand, if you're a luxury brand, if you're a type of brand that really depends a lot on the physical experience, if that's going to continue to be limited on going, how do you, how do you replace that? How do you create engagement? How do you create experience? Um, you know, if people can't try on your lipstick or, or whatever the case may be. And some of this stuff that's been lingering around for a while, VR, AR, you know, virtual makeup, try on tools and stuff. Like, does this stuff start to really have a moment? Like, do we lean into some of these technologies that create more of an experience that can kind of fill in some of that gap? L'Oreal is a big client of ours, and we've done some nice work for them over the last couple of years of integrating makeup try on tools to the website and app that stuff, which is a moment right now as people are are looking for ways to kind of fulfill those types of needs. But um, some of that stuff, again, that I sort of have has felt like it's been waiting to have its moment um, maybe accelerates a little bit over this next year or so. Right. You know, Je Jenna, I'm curious. Uh, you, you, have, you have a unique, you're sitting in a very unique uh, position. So I'm curious about how this looks for you. Yeah. Um, so the ACA, as I mentioned er earlier, is, you know, the state's leading economic development organization. So um, as you can manage um, our mission at its core is to strengthen Arizona's economy, and we do that through a three-pronged approach, and that's attracting business to the state, expanding businesses within the state, and helping start up or create new businesses within the startup and innovation community as well as small business space. So um, the past four months have been absolutely insane, but um, it's been, I have learned an incredible amount um, about you know our community and our ability to come together and come up with solutions that really that really make change. And so we've always been um, a highly dynamic organization. We've always leaned into um, digital platforms. That that necessarily wasn't a change. But the accelerated pace in which leverage those platforms became extremely um, important. We launched. I mean, Stephen, I uh, work with. Stevens, our, our agency at the ACA, Lavages, we launched a website in a weekend. <laughs> we, we launched um, an entire small business boot camp within a week from, from ideation to um, website to having people register. Um, we, we would hear about changes within the Paycheck Protection Program, literally write the content and offer a webinar within hours of hearing that stuff. Of hearing mm. those changes, we rallied the business community um, and kind of put ourselves at the epicenter of this, um, this digital resource toolkit to put together this page of statewide resources that was then disseminated by industry partners, by um, by chambers of commerce, by private industry, and so we really became this. Um, like I said, this epicenter where where people came to us on a daily basis. We were, and this is you know no stranger to you. You're a journalist. You're writing content every single day. But we we used to joke that a a day post pandemic was like a week pre pandemic. That's how much stuff we were moving through on a daily basis. And strangely enough, I know we're talking about how did you leverage digital, but we leveraged TV. We had never. Huh. 
we had never done a TV campaign. We're, we're you know, we're a quasi um, public private entity. And um, this is the first time in, um, in ACA history we have done a statewide TV campaign. And uh, we decided to do that, put together the spot and got the spot rolling all within a week. And mm. got incredible um, success from it. Um, and that was all around helping people identify the financial programs that were available to them in terms of for businesses and making sure that they were taking advantage and leveraging the Paycheck Protection Program. Then, um, you know, a, a, a month or so later, um, we wanted to make sure that we were providing opportunities for the job seekers, for those who had been impacted, for those that were um, mm -hmm. utilizing unemployment benefits to make sure that we were we were helping um, the dislocated worker community get the training they need. Um, we're at home right now. Um, you can't really go out. What a better time to completely change your career pathway, get the training you need to return stronger. So we put together mm -hmm. um, this kind of state work, statewide workforce campaign specific to those that, that we partnered with Coursera, one of the leading online um, education platforms to offer 3,800 free um, online learning platforms. We partnered with every um, workforce development center within the state to provide this digital application in which people could go in, fill out a form, receive a text message, and then hop on a phone call with a career counselor that who would work and help identify no cost programs, whether that was offered through federal programming within the state, whether that was offered through Coursera, we put together a list of what Google was doing, what these it, these global, you know, industry wide um, training providers were doing to connect these people. So come, you know, the 25th, when um, your pandemic um, employment assistance has some changes, you've had the opportunity to get this training so you could return stronger. Right. I guess that's kind of like the overarching theme that I have seen regardless of what channel, regardless if I'm doing a campaign with my team, with everything, is that everything we are doing, um, I feel like it's helping us return stronger. And uh, right. it's been crazy. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, it, I, I, I can imagine. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I can, I can, I can sympathize. Um, we are going to wrap up, but before we do, I want each panelist to give one sentence advice. <laughs> All right, so I'm just, I'm giving, I'm like, uh, this is my old producer days. Stretch, stretch, keep going. Um, uh, so think about one piece of advice that you'd like to give our audience today, uh, or one piece of wisdom. So advice, wisdom. Um, uh, inspiration. So we'll keep it. We'll keep it relatively. We'll keep it relatively broad. Um, I'm going to start with my friend up north in Seattle, Kathy. Please go ahead. Ah, let's see. What 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 prompt do I go with? Um, <laughs> I think that I will say uh, my piece of advice is got to do what you love. You spend way too much time working for it to feel like work. So. Think about if you are interested in marketing and advertising, even if you don't think that you um, have that specific skill set for either creative or media or analytics. I really like what was said earlier about if you have that problem solving purpose driven mindset, 
know that you can be successful in marketing, in media, in advertising, because we're looking for um, people that are just passionate about what they want to do and the change that they want to bring. Perfect. Perfect. David Angela. Um, I had a conversation with a, somebody that I'm sure you know, uh, Ernie Schenk. And Ernie's a really great writer that we're actually working with right now, uh, thanks to the remote philosophy that we have. And we were talking about something, and I want to give him credit to this because that way nobody, he hasn't trademarked it yet. But he said, you know, David, I've heard so much about the, the new normal, and I'm tired of hearing that. He goes, how about the better normal? And I thought better normal is, is what we're doing. In fact, we've been doing that every year that we've been alive. And so rather than look at when can I get back to my old normal or when can I get, or, or what am I going to do in, in this world? I'm listening to so many people talk about the things that they're doing right now, the new things that they're doing right now. I don't see them going away. Why would we? That you are, everyone here is evolving from this crisis. Right. It's not about when can I get back to what I'm doing? It's about how can I be part of making something even better than it was before? And that's what the pandemic and all the crisis is doing for us right now. And that is the opportunity for all of us. And that's where challengers come out of, you know, uh, challenger brands and, and uh, you know, disruptors come out of big challenges. And I just, you know, got to thank all the people here that I'm with right now, just to hear all of the things that you're up against and the, and the fact that you are transforming your business says everything about you and where you're going. So hold on to that and keep going. Yep. Mike. Mike, you're on mute. There's always so it's I always almost fun. made it the whole way through. Thank you. Um, yeah. That was a great point, David. And I would just summarize a final thought with with the word sustainability. Uh, sustainability, as David said, of, of the new normal and, and new practices and new things that come out of this. How do we sustain it? I think sustainability in terms of our response to racial injustice. And I think one of the things that we can be guilty of as an industry is excited behind something, a lot of action and then Six months later, we've moved on to the next thing, and this is going to take some time. So uh, let's stick with it. And I think, you know, finally, for me, um, sustainability of of delivery of work practices of expectations. You know, I think some of the examples that came out today of turning around a TV spot in two days and responding to the crisis and all these things that we've done have been tremendously powerful. And I think as an agency, we get really proud of how we've been able to do those things. But that's also not the new normal and it's not sustainable. And at some point, you know, we we um, we collectively as an industry have to in the right. Like and working 24 hours all reacting to stuff and hopefully find and path for those would be my thoughts. Yeah. Jeff. Yeah, first of all, just uh, thank you and congratulations. This is a great session. And congratulations for the work that all, all four of these organizations do trying to bring brands and agencies and, and uh, vendors and everybody else together around this conversation. Uh, you know, in my career, I've had the pleasure of sitting on both sides of the table, brand side of the table and on the other side of the table, trying to provide a service to that brand. And I think, you know, the thought I would leave everybody with is in this world now, where we seem to be more decentralized and we're able to all get on Zoom calls and integrate. I see us having more calls like this that include both our internal and our external teams as one team. And I think, so this is an opportunity to pivot, you know, on, when you're on the brand side, you always wanna be able to understand why the agency doesn't understand your business so well. 
And when you're the agency, you want to understand more about the business. I think this when, uh, new normal, this whatever this is, world we're in, is giving an opportunity to do that. And uh, so that's the thought I would leave you. Try and do more of that now. Arlene. Um, I would say to consider that your colleagues, your clients, your vendors may be suffering now in ways that you neither see nor understand mm -hmm. and encourage everyone to lean into compassion and kindness and empathy. Great. Stephen. Yeah, I would echo what Kathy and Arlene are saying, and I kind of think about it this way. If I had one moment with a senior executive, I would say, really, if you stop and think about it, we do not use people to get work done. We use work to get people done. How do we work to get people done? How do we get people done going forward? And if that's our mission and that's our why, I think we're going to succeed. All right, we'll wrap up with uh, Jenna. So my single sentence would be operate with empathy and I say that because something struck me um, about two months ago. Um, our one of our teams gave a presentation. It was our research team, and as you can imagine, our research team just gets bombarded with requests all the time. And um, she kind of had to remind everyone within the organization: empathy first. We're gonna get we're gonna get the job done. We're gonna get you the data you need, but you know you have to first start with empathy and i think that translates into every aspect of our lives and it struck me then and you know if, if there was a theme that i could assign to this conversation i would say that you know empathy might be the largest word cloud we have to extract from this and to and to have going forward love a good word cloud <laughs> Jeremy, you coming back in on this, buddy? You coming back in? Yes, this is number one. Say thank you. Thank you to all the panelists. Um, David, I love your normal. Um, friend of all of us, Rashad refers it to the next strange. I actually think yours is better because uh, the word strange doesn't <laughs> fit as much sometimes. I have I have six pages of notes of question of uh, follow ups and comments and. And again, thank you. Um, there's a newsletter I take every day called Why Is This Interesting? And uh, it's a weird, weird group of scientists and they write, they talk to different people. And this idea came up at three o'clock and I wrote Brandy and Lisa and Linda and said, you are gonna think I'm crazy, but wouldn't it be great if we could find intelligent people on the West to talk about how lucky we are to live here and work here and think here? Y'all have exceeded everything that we could have asked for in, in terms of your time, your generosity of time, intelligence, and spirit. And Doug, I think you brought it really, really well together. Lisa Solomon, thank you. Hope Creative, thank you for the for the uh, graphics. We couldn't have done this pre-COVID. We could have tried. We could have all gone to a Think LA event. Don, we would have been. We would have loved it or come to something else or go visit different cities. But we brought people together to hear some wonderful, intelligent takeaways. So from from president of one of the city groups, I, I, I deep down want to thank you. And thank you all for taking the 96 minutes. And Doug, right on, you asked some great questions. And we got a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of takeaways. Great stuff. Thank you, Doug. My pleasure. Have a wonderful Wednesday. Thanks for having me. John.
and uh, rock, Ju rock July and go vote. <laughs> Thank you. There we Thank go. Thank you very much. Exactly. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.